Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual and spirited congregation dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning. We're very glad you're here. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there is a spark of the divine in everyone. And it is in the spirit of that heritage that I say, let us greet the divine in our midst by turning to the people to our right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Please say with me the words by which we light the chalice, which is the symbol of our faith. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Our call to worship is from, quote, the art of living, unquote, by Thich Nhat Hanh. Breathing in, I see all my ancestors in me, my mineral ancestors, my plant ancestors, mammal ancestors, and yes, human ancestors. My ancestors are always present, alive in every cell of my body, and I play a part in their immortality. Our mission statement has guided this congregation through many decisions over the years. Last year, the board listened to you all and changed the mission just a little to add helping to build the beloved community in there. Um, It guides our thinking as we steer the congregation, and it guides our members as we think about the church we would like to be. So we put it on the wall and we say it together every Sunday. Together we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Our meditation reading is from, quote, How to Write an Autobiographical Novel, Essays, unquote, by Alexander Chi. When I am gripped with despair, when I think I might stop, I speak to my dead. Tell them a story. What am I doing with this life? They hold me accountable. I let them make me bolder or more modest or louder or more moving. But I ask them to listen. And then I write. Now we come to the part in our service where we join together in an attitude of prayer and meditation, where we pray or listen to God as we understand God, where we listen to our inner wisdom, or where we just watch the breath come in and out of our bodies. We're carrying so much these days, so much distress about our brothers and sisters coming trying to come over the border about our brothers and sisters in detention, about the children still separated from their parents, about 
the political tone that both sides are taking, calling each other evil, about those unbalanced folks who take terrible actions based on that belief that there are evil people that must be wiped out. We hold especially in our hearts and minds the people of the Squirrel Hill neighborhood in Pittsburgh, in the actual Mr. Rogers neighborhood. This is not supposed to happen. And yet, it did. And so those who are grieving today for their lost ones and their injured ones in Pittsburgh, we hold them in our heart, the people from the Tree of Life Synagogue, and we stand in solidarity with the synagogue this morning. And then there's private pain and turbulence that people are experiencing along with the pain that we're all experiencing together. So we bring all of that into our silence this morning as we hope and pray for clarity of what to do and what not to do, what to say, what not to say, how to be the change we want to see in the world. Let us enter into the wise silence together.
We come from so many different cultures, just even in this one room. And every culture has its own way of honoring the dead and remembering the dead. Maybe you uh, have a big wake with your family and everybody drinks toasts. Or maybe you have uh, a big feast after the memorial service or the funeral. Um, that is the way of my southern people. Uh, you, you make lots and lots and lots and lots of food. And you bring it, and there's special funeral food. I don't know if you know that song called Funeral Food, but um, it's the green beans with the, with the shoestring potatoes on top, or the onions, it's the onions on top. And it's the um, cheesy pineapple Ritz cracker. Has anybody had that casserole? That's a definite death casserole. <laughs> and... I had a church member in another church I served that just made bread all the time, which she called death bread, and um, it was just little loaves that she would take to people who'd had a death in the family. I don't think she would say, here, here's death bread, but that was her tradition. Some people, you know, put, put the name of the person that they're honoring on the wall in the synagogue, and then there's a light next to that name, or... You light a candle in the church for a person, or you pay for a mass for that person, or you throw a lay onto the, onto the ocean waves, or you throw flowers in the lake or into the river for that person. You all can think of how you do it in your own cultures. Um, the culture that Gil and Bear come from, have uh, they donated these gorgeous flowers today. They... Um, their culture has uh, ofrenda and marigolds and um, skulls, and so their culture is brought into this service. And my culture is from Scotland and Ireland, and um, so I, I brought for the second year in a row a Scottish-Welsh Cornwall tradition called the clutie tree. And a clutie is just a piece of cloth. It's the same word, kind of cluty, cloth. And the word clout comes from that too, and I'll tell you why. It comes from the coo cluty, and that's how the Scots would say the cow, cluty. And so if you have a family coo, and you milk the coo, and she gives you milk, she kind of falls in love with the person who milks her, and her milk lets down for that person, and it's hard to get her to let her milk down for anybody else. But what if you sell the family coo to another family? Then you have to send a clutie along with the coo. Uh, you send a piece of the clothing of the person she loves. And then she can smell that smell and her milk will let down for the new family. And that's where the word clout comes from. Because you have clout with this cow. She will let down her milk for you if you have the clout. If you have the clout, you can fascinate people at your next cocktail party with that information. <laughs> I would not have you be ignorant. And.
and there are cloudy trees. There's a kind of a whole cloudy forest that you have a picture of on the front of your order of service where there's either a sacred well nearby or it's just the tree that's seen as sacred. And people tie little pieces of cloth onto the tree and they put wishes on the cloth or they put things they want to get rid of, like an illness, into the cloth in their mind. And they ask for the wind to carry it away. And I'm thinking this morning uh, we'll have a little bit of silence um, to think about what you want to put into the cloth as you hang it on the tree um, when you come forward later on, if that's what you choose to participate in. Because you can either put a wish for someone else who's gone on before in the cloth, or you can put a wish for yourself in there, or you can can send a message or a thank you to an ancestor that you would like to thank. But, you know, ancestors are complicated. And a lot of them, even if we were adopted into a family and don't know who our biological ancestors are, they still affect us. And the family who raised us affects us. And we can't always um, control what they gave us. You know what I'm saying? You have things from them in you and in your belief system and in your body, in your DNA memory, that are from them. And a lot of the things our ancestors gave us, we're very grateful for. But some of the things they gave us are not good. You hear me? They're not good. They don't work for us like they worked for them. They hurt us. And some, some of our families raised us with, um, with very strange worldviews, anti-Semitic worldviews or racist worldviews or um, views that we were special above all people and as long as we were okay, it didn't matter about anybody else. And... Or worldviews that, oh, everybody around us is just stupid except for us. Or everybody around us is just normal, but not us. We're exceptional. And some of us got messages from our ancestors that were, that were even more directly harmful, like, ah, you'll never amount to anything. Or people like us, we're not meant to do anything in the world. We just kind of exist and then we die. Or... the things people say to children and then the things they grow up saying to themselves inside their own heads which echo those things that were said to them as children you with me Um, a lot of those things are not working for us they don't work for us they hurt us and so you may want to put into your clutey cloth something that your ancestors gave you that you would like to let go you would like the wind to blow it away or you like the fire to take it. These are the cluties from the first service. I'm going to put them in the um, Kaya and Meg annual Halloween fire. With respect. So, or you're welcome after the service to come back up and pick your clutie off the tree and tie it onto a tree at your house if you want to watch it. It's just a Scottish or Cornwall version of a prayer flag um, where the wind is carrying 
away your wishes, prayers, and messages. I'm grateful for a lot of the things that my ancestors gave me. Um, I'm grateful that I talked about my mother's side in the family in the first service, so I might try to talk about my father's side in the family, although they are less funny. Um, they thought that you were really somebody when you'd written a book, so everybody wrote a book. And um, <laughs> I've written six books, and uh, but I'm gay. So, (laughs) and one time, um, I was told, well, yes, you write books, but they're popular. Um, (laughs) families just make you want to go, Anyway, so you're, you're somebody if you've written a book. So that was a good, uh, a nice message to receive. And I was able to write some books. And um, I'm grateful for my Aunt Ruth, who was a bad influence on me. Um, she was my father's older sister, and he didn't want her around me very much. I think I've told you all about her before. She, was, um, she had seven children, and she was a psychiatrist. And she was a lady doctor from Boston. And she used to go down, she used to tell me, uh, her sister just recently in August told me, oh, she's such a liar. But um, so anyway, I used to take everything she said for gospel. And she said she would go down to the coffee houses in Cambridge and read tarot cards for the people there. She said, you know, I never once had to fix a reading. She kind of talked like that. I can't do an, an Aunt Ruth imitation very well, but she would always end up by putting her teeth together like this. So she taught me how to read tarot cards and palms, and she told me that we come from a long line of witches. And uh, when I married my husband a long time ago, uh, she came up to him at, at the reception. I think she'd had some champagne. And she said, you'd better treat her well because she comes from a long line of witches and you don't want to know what happens to you if you don't treat her well. And he, being who he was, drew himself up to his full height and said, I can treat her well without threats. Thank you. (laughs) She's also the one that gave one of her friends a wedding present of a set of knives inscribed. Remember, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. (laughs) I guess they are funny. Oh, my God. I went on a long trip with her one time. We were on this huge, huge jet, uh, the kind that has seats here and then in the middle and then in the half middle and then over there. I think that's a 747, is it? Or anyway. And so I was sitting next to her. She had this great big sun hat on. And someone over way on the other side of the plane was putting his luggage into the overhead compartment incorrectly. And she stood up. She stood up and said, uh, you're not doing that correctly. And I, I hit her. I, I, I have a finger whap that comes from karate. And I was just like, Aunt Ruth, she's, he's, this is none of your business. And so she put her hat over her face and slid down into the seat and tried to 
restrain herself from being the boss of the world. I think after you've had seven children, you're just the mother to the world. She used to grow marijuana under her piano. When we were coming to visit them in Cambridge, she said, uh, Meg, I have marijuana plants under my piano uh, with grow lights. Do you think I should hide them from your mother? And I said, Aunt Ruth, she won't know what they are. It's all right. She once asked me to smell my sister's breath because she thought she'd been smoking marijuana, but it was great bubble gum. <laughs> so she was, she was a psychiatrist for a long time, and then she retired and became an Episcopal priest and taught at Perkins in Dallas for a long time. Um, I believe our friend Kathleen Ellis had her as a professor. And her sister Dorothy, I'm just getting to know. I visited visited her when we were in Berkeley in August, and she, um, my mother always used to, my sorry, my father always used to say Dorothy was a dupe of the communists because he was to the right of Genghis Khan, and she was being a translator for the Sandinistas in Nicaragua. She translated Spanish to German, and she worked in the in the barrio also. Um, teaching the street kids how to play the recorder. So they had a little choir and a recorder choir. And um, she worked with these nuns. I can't remember what brand of nuns they were. But they, um, they answered her when she said, how do you keep going in this kind of hopeless situation that doesn't feel like it's going to get better? And they said, we just do our work. That's what we do. We just do our work. That's what we're here for. We can't fix everything, but we can do our work. So I thank them, my two aunties, for their strength and perseverance. She's uh, 90, by the way, and still teaches voice lessons. She sounds in her voice like a 15-year-old girl. So I'm grateful to them. I'm not grateful for the brand of churchianity I was taught growing up. I'm not grateful for the Presbyterian churchianity, which you wouldn't believe if I described it to you. Where somebody's like, yeah, I know. You don't have to describe it to me. Uh, where you, your body is unclean and your heart is uh, deceitful. So you can't follow your heart where your will will lead you wrong. So anytime as my auntie was teaching me about being a witch, uh, and they say, there's a saying, to know, to will, to dare, and to be silent. That whole to will thing just felt scary. Um, Presbyterian churchianity and witchcraft are a very odd combination for a young woman. Um, but then you become a Unitarian, so. <laughs> There's a story that Rabbi Jesus tells where he says, Who of you, if your children were hungry and asked for bread, would give them a stone? 
And I think about that a lot because as a child, I was hungry and they were giving me what they thought was bread, nourishing beliefs. And they broke my teeth. I could not digest those things. That women were inferior, that men were supposed to be the head of the family. Come on. I mean, I knew a lot of great men, but I knew a lot of great women too. And um, in my family, it was the women who were the head of the family, but you had to kind of make yourself small and make the men believe that they were head of the family, which was just exhausting. (laughs) And I'm grateful to the other side of my family too, my mother's side, for their humor and their silliness and for the fireworks at all the major occasions. And fireworks at weddings were the best. And so we would have weddings where um, where we wouldn't tell the other side of the family, the bride's side that was marrying in. We wouldn't tell them about the fireworks. And um, when the black cats started going off outside the church windows as the soprano was hitting the high notes on where sheep may safely graze... Um, she would go, ah, and bam, 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 bam. The other side of the family would jump and look around wildly, thinking the revolution had come. But we would look calmly ahead as if nothing was happening, looking at them like, what are you so upset about? That was a fun wedding. Although there was a wedding, her perfect daughter got married, my auntie, uh, on my mother's side. And she said there were going to be no fireworks at this wedding. And she had the minister give us a talk. And so we all went into the minister's office. And he said, I am going to start by telling you the story of the Ark of the Covenant when it was moved. And two people decided they were going to touch the Ark of the Covenant. And they were struck dead. And we were all like, where are you going with this? And he said, a marriage is a sacred thing, and the silliness of fireworks is not to be tolerated. And we were kind of looking at our shoes like, are we going to be struck dead? Is that what you're saying? Struck dead for fireworks? We're not sure. But my cousin, John Knox, who was a lawyer, was pretty impervious. And um, he went out and lit a string of black hats uh, in the middle of the wedding at the Sheep May Safely Graze part. And it only made it like three pops. And those things are hard to stop once they get going. But we think that, that the mother um, hired guards and one of them just threw himself bodily on <laughs> the string of black hats. Otherwise, how? How in the world? I'm grateful for that uh, sacred and the silly going hand in hand. I'm not grateful for all the talk about how you can't really be a good person because you're a miserable wretch. It's actually a little relaxing to be a miserable wretch, if I'm honest, which I am all the time. I don't have the attention span not to be. Because, you know, you feel if I'm a miserable wretch, if I'm a totally depraved human being, which is what they teach, then I'm doing pretty well. I'm not a thief. I'm not a murderer. 
I'm, I'm being kind of a good person. So, victory. This Unitarian Universalist belief in the inherent worth and dignity and goodness of people is really hard on me. But I'm trying. I'm trying. If I could just keep the total depravity of human beings and be a Unitarian Universalist, I would do it, but I can't. So what good things did your ancestors give you? And what are you happy for? And what would you like to let go of? And I would like for us to sit in silence for a few moments while you think of what you might like to put in a clutie if you put that there, or in a rock. I have a, a box of rocks back here. Um, for people who come from a tradition where you go to a gravesite and put a rock on top. And if you have pictures or writings or anything that reminds you of your beloved dead or your, uh, your ancestors, beloved or not, you're welcome to come put those on the table as soon as we start moving forward and singing. But let, let's spend a couple of moments breathing together and thinking about what we would like to put on the tree. Please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Sing with me if you care to. Remember the way of the wind and breathe and blow. Remember the way of the fire and sparkle and glitter and glow. Remember the way of the water. Remember the way of the water and ebb and flow and ebb and flow. Remember the way of the earth. Remember the way of the earth and grow and grow. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.